Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, today we uh, we return to the year of mission. Uh, let's pray and then we'll get it stuck into that. Father, your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Please allow your word to pierce us today and please give us receptive hearts. For Jesus' glory we pray. Amen. So we've heard the yeah in, the, in that the, the gospel message commands mission because the message that Christ came into the world to save sinners is a message for all. We've heard the nah, that character matters. So if you're considering mission work, there are, there are character things to sort out. Uh, if, if that's the case for you, the answer at the moment might be no. But today we're going to 2 Timothy and we're going back to the year. And I, I really just have two points. I expect neither of them are going to come as a great surprise to you, but they're what the passage is saying. My two points are the Bible is God's word. That's number one. And number two, preach it. Hopefully two fairly unsurprising points. So point one, the Bible is God's word. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 are, are famous verses. They're, they're the verses why we spend, that tell us why we spend so much time in this book rather than other books. Uh, they are the verses that encourage us to persevere in our Bible reading plans when we get to the chapters in Exodus about the furnishings of the tabernacle or, or the list of tribes in Numbers. They're, they're our go-to verses when we're writing our doctrine essay about the nature of Scripture. They are the handy response when the boy in year four scripture asks us a question about who wrote the Bible. The verses are clear about the nature of scripture. All scripture is God breathed. All of it. Not just our favorite bits or the bits that inspire us, but all of it. And not only that, but these verses tell us the purpose of scripture, that it shapes us. Scripture is there to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, train us in righteousness for good works. The, these verses tell us that the study of Scripture is, is not just a mind game. It, it is a mind game because our minds must be transformed, but it's more than a mind game because our transformed minds must lead to transformed lives. So, so 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, it's a... It's a great doctrinal statement about the origin and purpose of Scripture, but it doesn't just stand there, sit there as a, a standalone doctrinal statement, kind of a, a snappy response, a meme when, when we need it. No, it, it comes in a context. And as we think about Scripture and mission, I think understanding the context is, is really helpful. So if you come back to the, the beginning of chapter three with me, uh, Paul is passing on to Timothy some hard truths. Um, in chapter one and chapter two, he's kind of geed him up to, to fan into flame the good, good deposit that he has. Uh, follow the pattern of sound words that he has heard. Be a, a great soldier of Christ. Endure the suffering, that, that sort of thing. Uh, these are the words of the enthusiastic pastor at the commissioning of a, a missionary going to the field for the first time. All the supporters are gathered, the, the prayer cards are ready to be stuck on fridges, the, the visas are stamped in the passport, the tickets are booked, the, the, the travel clearance is gained, the COVID test is ready to go, the mood is upbeat. 
And so in some ways, chapter three kind of comes across as a, well, a bit of re a reality check. If you like, it's the it's the quiet conversation over a cup of tea after the commissioning service, the, the wise man, the, the guy who we've just heard from in Ross, in, who's been in Papua New Guinea and, and Vanuatu, his words, wise words to the enthusiastic newbie. In the midst of all this excitement, just let me tell you a few truths about what it's going to be like. Because we all know how wonderful the gospel message is. We know you are a great person, that you're enthusiastic, you're excited, you're raring to go. But chapter 3, verse 1, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. You are going to be using your gifts and preaching the gospel, but people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, on and on the list goes. If you are going to be involved in gospel ministry, these are, not might, but are the words that will characterize some of the people you minister to and minister with. Uh, in 12 years in Mexico, we saw those who love money and how destructive they are, both in, in church and in the wider community. We saw the brutality that comes with a prosperous drug trade, kidnap, extortion, murder, and how those touch people I know personally. In ministry, we saw the effect of those who are consumed with conceit, those who want to appear godly and holy, but in fact are not, relying on their own power, status, influence, rather than on the power of God. And, and don't think, well, yes, in Mexico, land of narcotraficantes, of course you're going to see that sort of stuff there. No, I don't see any geographical or, or cultural limits on the warning that Paul is giving Timothy here. It's about the nature of the last days, not the nature of where you live. If you are going to a city, any city, to do student work, there will be students on your campus like this. If you are going to a new region to help plant a church, these words may well characterize your neighbors, your, your local shopkeeper. If you're going to teach in a theological college, they could characterize your colleagues. If you are going to minister the gospel, they could describe you. So what's to be done? If that is the reality of life and ministry, what should be our response? Verse 10, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my life in faith, my, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. I think there's an implicit invitation from Paul to Timothy to follow him in those things. But the explicit exhortation doesn't come until verse 14. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And verse 15, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. As you have done from childhood, Timothy, under the guidance of Lois and Eunice, 
keep on in the scriptures. Keep on in them because in them comes our wisdom for salvation. Don't look for the five tricks to defeat brutality or, or the fail safe techniques to humble the conceited. Instead, know Jesus through the scriptures. And, and how can we have so much confidence in the scriptures? Why should we be putting all our eggs in the scripture basket? Because, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and you know the rest. And so we come back to the title of our first point. The Bible is God's word. But as you see, the situation that has provoked such a clear declaration of that truth is the nature and life of ministry in the end times. The Bible is God's word. Point two, therefore, preach it. Now, one of the great dangers of really excellent verses in the Bible, the verses that kind of just capture in a nutshell what we want to say or, or a nice summary of some important truth is that we, we tend to remember the verse, but forget or at least sort of inadvertently ignore what comes next. And I think here is a good example of that because having established the nature of the last days and the nature of scripture, Paul gives a pretty important and a, a pretty logical, given what he's just said, instruction. Given that you are to be a good soldier of Christ, given that in the last days, people will, will be rebellious, given that all scripture is breathed out by God and can make you wise for salvation, what ought to be our response? Chapter four, verse two, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Uh, preach the word. If we believe that the Bible is God's breathed out word, if we believe that the scriptures are able to make us and others wise for salvation, it's obvious, isn't it? In fact, look at look at verse two again, chapter four, verse two, and the things Timothy Timothy is to do: reprove, rebuke, exhort. Compare that with chapter verse sixteen of chapter three, and the things that the scriptures are for. There's a fairly big overlap between those two lists, isn't there? So, if we are wanting to teach, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Of course you would preach the word, wouldn't you? We'll have a look at the context again. Because as we read verses three and four, it's clear that even though preaching the word might be kind of the, the obvious logical conclusion, there are some attractive alternatives. For example, those with itching ears will seek teachers to suit their own passions, and so they will turn away from the truth and wander off into myths. In other words, they will have an itch and they will seek a scratch to match the itch. Whether that itch be the itch of motivation, entertainment, personal improvement and well-being, cultural acceptance or acknowledgement, for the sake of having their itch scratched, people will turn away from the truth and wander off following myths. Of course, often this moving away will use very biblical words, like acceptance, grace, generosity, listening, being Jesus-like, etc. But the departure from the truth of Scripture is clear. 
I, uh, I recently heard of a school Easter assembly where the key message of the assembly run by local church leaders and scripture teachers was the miracle of bush regeneration. The Easter message was all about the regeneration and new life of the bush. And isn't that great? No. Well, yes, I mean, sure. The way the bush regenerates is great, but a good explanation of bush re regeneration is not going to make someone wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So why would you waste your time using your once a year opportunity to talk about bush regeneration? Why? Because of a desire for perceived popularity, not a desire for the truth. Because you want people to like you and accept you and, and come back for more. And people like the bush. But if you talk about it, they'll like you as well. And what's the problem with that? This scratch seeking solution to a perceived itch. Think again about the first point. The myths we are wandering off to, to, to follow are not God breathed. My thoughts about bush regeneration, however insightful they might be, they are not going to make you wise for salvation in Christ because they are me breathed, not God breathed. No, scripture makes you wise for salvation in Christ. And so it is scripture we must preach. Uh, if I can extend the itching scratching image a little further, it's not that we need to be seeking a scratch for our perceived itch and therefore have our itches lead us away from scripture. But we must allow scripture to tell us where we are itching and provide the scratch. God's breathed out world will, a word will not only tell us where our needs are, but where those needs are met. So how does this flow? From, from being a good soldier for Christ, ministering in difficult times in the last days, having the God-breathed word and therefore preaching the word, how does that help us understand the year of mission? Well, as I mentioned in my first talk, 1 and 2 Timothy are very kind of intimate letters. You, you can feel the depth of warmth and confidence in relationship between Paul and Timothy just oozing out of these chapters. But, but they're not just private letters that we happen to be listening in on. They, they are instructive for us because so many of the exhortations and conclusions that are made are based on theology and truth rather than just being personally or, or culturally based. Therefore, rather than saying, well, you know, that's interesting, that's nice for Timothy, glad we could hear that, but I'm not sure there's much in it for me. I don't know where to say, what is, the, what is the theological foundation on which that exhortation is sitting? Is that foundation true for me? And if so, what should be my response to the exhortation? Well, I want to say the sequence we have just seen, desiring to be a good soldier for Christ, doing that in the last days, difficult last days, having the God-breathed word and therefore preaching the word, that, that foundation exhortation is exactly the same for us. And therefore, I think the exhortation applies exactly the same to us. 
if we are gospel people like Paul and Timothy, and if we want others to be gospel people too, then we are to preach the word. In our mission context, what will that mean? It will mean that the activities we give our time, money and people to must be word preaching activities. Of course, what that will mean in, in different countries will look very different and being able to enter one country for the sake of preaching the word, word will, will look very different to another country. Uh, in Mexico, I entered on a religious visa sponsored by the National Presbyterian Church of Mexico. My, my title was pastor. I was able to tell the immigration official the name of our church and say I preached there regularly. I was able to tell him that I taught in the local seminary, that the, the 50 Christian books in my bag were for students there and ask him if he'd like one. That is not going to happen in many countries. In many countries, word preaching is not going to be public. It's not going to be pulpiteering. In many countries, it will happen after the English class or the university lecture you've just given. It will happen in one-on-one -on -one situations as the word is opened when, when no one else is around. It will happen in the conversation in the, the waiting room of the hospital ward or, the, or as a school student hears the Easter story in, a, in an assembly in a private school. But the point is, the word is opened. The scriptures are being allowed to make people wise for salvation, to, to teach, rebuke, correct, train. If we are serious about the year of mission, we've seen that we must be serious about salvation that comes through the gospel of Jesus. And if I think if we are serious about that, we must be serious about scripture. So yeah to mission, yeah to scripture. I wanna finish with a little epilogue postscript sort of thing. On Tuesday, I challenged you to have a serious conversation with someone about cross-cultural mission some, sometime this week. I wonder if you've had that conversation. Have you planned to have the conversation? Have you worked out in your mind who you're going to have the conversation with? I hope this week you've seen why those conversations are so important. And I hope that I've given you something to talk about when you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is Lord of all the nations and thank you that his salvation is there for all nations. Thank you that in scripture you speak to us, you train us, you change us. We pray that you would prepare us to serve you in all corners of the world, in all sorts of contexts. We pray that as we speak to one another about cross-cultural mission, that we would ask the hard questions think wisely and carefully. Help us to be open to wise rebuke, correction and leading. And ultimately help us to be people of your word that we and those we speak to might come to know Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.